Hello everyone, I'm Deborah, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. If the past few months have shown us anything, it's that not even a pandemic can slow down advocacy or activism. Globally, we've seen people from across the world continue to mobilize against injustice. In the United States, activists have taken their grievances to the streets to fight back against police brutality and racism. In Hong Kong, the pandemic has not dampened the anti-government protests, while Thailand had their largest pro-democracy rally in years. Almost all physical protests have met with criticism or backlash from the authorities. Malaysia is no exception to this. On today's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to Dana Lechami Langaswaran, Industrial Relation Officer for the National Union of Workers in Hospitals Support and Allied Services, and Joanna Jafar, a woman's human rights advocate working in the field of communications about protesting during a pandemic, the obstacles they face, and what this means for advocacy and activism moving forward. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. Now here's our interview. Let's start with some introductions. Um, Dana, maybe do you want to introduce yourself first? So I'm, I'm Dana Lichumi, uh, an Industrial Relations Officer for our union, which is a national union of workers in hospital support and allied services. Actually, this union is for the support workers in hospitals, uh, like example, the cleaning services, uh, technicians. So we are the union for them, and it's uh, for the government hospitals. Okay, hi, I'm Joanna. I'm a women's human rights activist. I work mostly in communications, and um, often when it intersects with um, human rights. Great. Um, So on today's episode, we're going to talk about protests And before we delve into the discussion, can you both talk a bit more about what a successful protest means to you? What is the power of this protest is it can expose the issues in a bigger picture. So uh, it's most to the public awareness where the the public can know more about the issues. And also uh, we can get the public support because normally uh, like... uh, uh, the workers' issues, the public not not very aware about the workers' issues. So when uh, when we do something like this, so the people will, uh, it can be out more to the people. So actually, uh, the successful protest uh, means uh, uh, when we come to some solution or we can get 50-50, 50% of the uh, the matter to 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 solve. So uh, and also it can uh, expose uh, means uh, give awareness to the public, and also uh, we can and it's more success, successful when the public take part into the issue. It's uh, uh, my uh, my view, my point of view. Okay, great. So for you, Dana. A successful protest means that you not only raise awareness, but you also get support in maybe an actionable way from the the public. Okay. Yeah. 
Joanna, what about you? What is a successful protest? I guess um, the question we need to ask first is who are we talking to? Um, if if we are talking to policymakers or the government, then to get a response at the very least indicating that uh, concrete steps are being taken to address the issues raised, then that I think is is a is a good indicator. Um, it is unlikely that one protest is going to um, result in the exact outcome that you want. Um, but to get a response um, and some kind of commitment, I think that would be the first indica indicator of a successful protest. Uh, on the other hand, there's also, as Dana mentioned, um, increasing public understanding. Uh, and that's also very important because it enables people to better articulate the issues when they're speaking to members in their own community or even when, to, when they want to express themselves, uh, say, online. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's giving people new language to talk about something. Yeah. So we're seeing with the pandemic in Malaysia, well, the pandemic everywhere has affected protesters organizing and mobilizing. We've seen some examples where this pandemic was used as a justification to curb and put a stop to such activities. In June this year, five picketers were arrested after participating in a peaceful protest against their employer. The picket was attended by fewer than 20 people and with safety measures taken. So Dana, you were one of those who were arrested. Was being arrested something that you anticipated, that, the, that you in the, the protest anticipated? Uh, no, actually, we uh, we never uh, expected that because uh, that day, uh, that day we just uh, want to meet the employee uh, management. We want to giving away the memorandum to the employer. That's why we uh, we went to the hospital that day. Uh, even though we uh, we follow all the SOP, finally we uh, we were arrested. Uh, that's why we never expect that thing will happen that day because we follow all the SOP. And uh, uh, the total people we gathered there is, is less than 15. It's around 13 people only, the workers. Right. And what were some of the safety measures you took um, during the gathering? Okay, the, the safety measure uh, we took that day is followed the government's, uh, government's SOP. Uh, uh, we, uh, the social distancing... And also, we, we, we all wear the face mask. And we also uh, take uh, our body temperature. Uh, we we never violating that. Uh, we, we never violating the SOP. So, we follow. And also, that time is a CMCO. That's the controlled movement control order. So, that's why we never expect that, that arrestment. And so some people criticized that the protests took part during a pandemic and that it could do more harm than good, um, that it's not the right time for people to gather and demand these things. How do you respond to people who, who have those kind of criticism? We don't have any other way because the, the, the workers were uh, victimized and intimidated daily, treasured. They, they, are giving, they were giving treasured by the supervisors. Harassed. So we, we as union, we cannot, we cannot keep quiet. We must do our, our, uh, our job to fight for the worker. We don't have any other uh, way. Lah. 
to raise right. the problem to the management. So it was sort of a last resort. Yes. Um, Joanna, what about you? What do you think about protesting in this current moment despite the health risks that we are facing? I, I, I guess I prefer to answer it this way. Is it possible to protest safely? And I would say yes. We have more information about the virus today than we had at the start of the year. And uh, with that, we have better safety precautions. For example, um, the use of masks, um, physical distancing. And I, I suppose it is incumbent on organizers um, who are putting together or calling people together during a pandemic to take extra safety measures. Uh, for example, putting out safety advisories, um, providing the masks, or having them available on site, um, hand sanitizers. These are like the list that the Ministry of Health puts out, right? Um, but also ensuring that marshals help with physical distancing. Uh, it's a huge challenge and everyone involved must uh, be responsible and take precautions. Um, but essential to this, of course, is also the police and their cooperation. For as long as the police don't agitate and therefore cause an unto situation um, or force participants into a tight space or prevent them from accessing adequate open spaces, then I do think it's possible for people to congregate with minimum risk. I'm not saying that there are no risks at all, um, but we can minimize risk. There might be those who may choose uh, not to participate physically, and that's understandable. For example, people who are taking care of um, the elderly and children, um, people with comorbidity, um, or those who are just afraid, afraid of um, being out during a pandemic, which is okay. And it's, it's on the organizers to encourage other ways in which people can participate. What's tricky, and I'd like to follow up on what um, you were discussing with Dana, is that during the movement control order, two things are happening. One, um, when previously we had to deal with the Peaceful Assembly Act, especially for protests concerning um, human rights or civil and political rights, um, then this law is often being thrown at organizers. But because of the pandemic and the movement control order, we're then now faced with the Infectious Diseases Prevention and Control Act. Um, now, this act is a lot harsher. Now, the thing about the, the, the Infectious Diseases Prevention and Control Act is that it's being enforced during the movement control order, the period of the movement control order, which in Malaysia, we've seen, there is no set period for this. Um, it's reviewed every few months and the the most recent one um, is that it's being extended till December so um, there is you know there's no end in sight um, as to when this is going to be lifted and therefore the law um, will not be used against organizers and protesters in uh, the case of uh, Dana's union this law was used on them because the protest or the memorandum um, delivery was made during the MCO, um, which is really 
it, it puts organizers in a very difficult situation because the law is harsh. Um, there is a, a penalty and prison sentence that comes with it if found guilty. Um, and it also inhibits others to want to participate because the law is so harsh. Um, but as Dana mentioned, you know, participants can follow the SOP and with cooperation from the police, a protest can be held uh, safely and peacefully. Yeah, got it. So prior to this, it was the Peaceful Assembly Act. Currently, it's the Infectious Disease um, act that's being used. So considering these restrictions and that some people may have risks that they don't want to take in physically protesting, we're going to see protests, I think, move more online um, to avoid getting into trouble with authorities during the pandemic. Uh, Joanna, how do you think this shift will affect activism and advocacy in the foreseeable future? Oh, I think online activism um, has been... Um, active um, since prior to the pandemic and will it will continue to be active um, even after this pandemic. Um, it, it, in fact, I would say it's an integ integral part of protesting. Okay, so um, in addition to that, so we see in, in the Malaysian context what happened during, I think, the second or third phase of the movement control order where and I think this was after the um, the union congregated in in Ipoh. Um, there was an online protest called Migrant Juga Manusia, um, which gained quite a bit of traction, um, and I would say effective to the point that um, the spokesperson for the government who does daily briefings on the movement control order had to address the issue facing migrant workers during the MCO. Um, so in that sense, the online space is important where the offline space has been uh, limited. But at the same time, uh, whether the online space is going to take over the offline space, I don't think so. At the end of the day, um, bodies matter and the presence of bodies matter. And I think um, when people are more comfortable to organize and to show up, people will start going back to the streets. Okay. And just for our listeners outside of Malaysia, migrant Druga Manusia means migrants are humans too. And it was organized in response to growing xenophobia towards migrant workers and refugees in Malaysia during the pandemic. Um, and, and Joanna, this is for you as well. You participated and volunteered for this year's Women's March, which was right before COVID restrictions kicked in. Um, and you, I believe the Women's March had actually cooperated um, to their best ability with the police in organizing this march, but was still called in for investigation um, under the Peaceful Assembly Act. Do you think, you know, shifting protests online could maybe affect security of the protesters in any way? Could it mean maybe getting in less trouble? Um, okay, so, so to the first part of the question, so I think 
the cooperation needs to come from the police because as organizers um, of any protest, what is required by law currently is a notice. And uh, as far as I know, the organizers of the International Women's Day March uh, in March this year already submitted their notice. So as far as the law is concerned, um, they, they complied. Um, so the issue of the police then wanting to do follow-up investigations on them reflects more of their non-cooperation on organizers. Um, so that's one. Two, um, the, the march, the pandemic was already on, but Malaysia was not under a movement control order. And there were people who opted out. Uh, there were people who expressed, you know, concerns whether the march should go on or not. But the organizers also put out um, health advisories and also said, you know, if, um, if you don't feel comfortable attending, that's also okay. Um, I think if the march was happening right now, during the movement control order, um, I, I'm pretty sure that, say, masks would be compulsory for participants. So that would be the shift of what we knew then and what we know now. Um, back in March, the mask was optional, it, but it was highly encouraged. Um, and, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, the organizers did bring some masks um, and did provide hand sanitizer. So that was steps uh, taken on the side of the organizers and participants themselves, um, some of whom did show up wearing masks. So that was good. Um, but there was no, uh, how to say, enforcement. Um, in terms of safety of participants and organizers, I think there's always going to be risk, um, regardless of whether you do it online or offline. The, the risk may be less online because uh, you can exercise some amount of anonymity um, and distance. And in, in, in a time of pandemic, then that also means real physical distancing. Apart from that, um, I don't think one would say there's that much difference because on the organizing side, there's still a lot of work to be done. And for participants, there's also work to be done. Okay, I, I'd like to, to, to maybe talk about some of the harassment that you still face. So, you know, there, there are certain ways in which protesting online reduces the physical risks of protesting during this time. But at the same time, you still can get uh, harassed online if you're participating in an online protest like Migrant Sugar Manusia. Um, what kind of measures do you take, you know, as a participant to prevent that kind of harassment? Uh, can it be prevented at all? And maybe how do you cope with, with that kind of harassment online? I think the same um, the same amount amount of consideration is put in uh, on a participant whether one wants to participate or not, whether offline or online, because there are risks. Um, the 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 thing about online harassment, and I I don't like to use the word harassment because um, based on what we have seen in Malaysia, it is so much more violent than just harassment. It is. Um, there are death threats, there are um, people calling on the police to arrest um, 
to arrest those who, say in the case of migrant Jugal Manusia, um, who condemned the immigration department and the police in the handling of um, migrant workers. So it's not just, you know, um, it's not just people going on and on disagreeing. They want you to shut up and they use uh, violent speech uh, to make you shut up. Now, um, we have a problem with hate speech. We have a problem with violent speech in Malaysia. And unfortunately, we don't have regulations or enforcement on that. So a lot of people who participate in on online mobilization depend um, heavily on the individual platforms where these mobilizations are happening. So for example, if it's on Twitter, then they depend on the internal mechanisms of Twitter to, to, to report other people's uh, attacks. Um, but, you know, uh, oftentimes, because of language as well and the nuances of um, non-English languages, um, the platform does not take action, um, but sometimes it does work. So people still report and hope for the best. So it, it's kind of... It's kind of frustrating, you know, um, but that's quite different from say, okay, so I'm facing this attack and I'm going to go to the police and knowing damn well that the police will not take action because unless somebody says, I'm going to come and kill you, I know where you live, then it's not considered a threat. Even when people go with those kinds of um, attacks against them, the police will say, oh, so maybe you should just log out. So... Um, the online space is is unregulated in a sense that um, it provides a lot of freedom for people to advocate for, say, human rights. At the same time, it also pro provides a lot of room for misogynists and racists and sexists and homophobes to attack other people uh, without any repercussions. Right, I think that's a really good point. Um, that the despite the freedom, it's also it, it allows people to to also do negative things and and really uh, make very disturbing threats. Um, but Dana, after what happened in June, is an online protest something you would consider moving forward with? Would you consider using an online protest for the union? Uh, yeah, uh, we got we got a bit. Some online protests, uh, like uh, we, uh, we we get support from the international uh, international support, so we do some online protests, and also we uh, we do online protests to to withdraw the charges against uh, our five arrested. Uh, the support was was good, uh, so we are asking AG to drop all the cases. Uh, the cases against us, lah. So still, uh, still, we are doing the online protest, and and the feedback from the from the netizens uh, was quite good, and 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 through this uh, technology, we can we can uh, like uh, expose our issues to 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 like um, to other country also. So we got. We got support from US, uh, Philippines, Australia. So we got unions from there. We got 
we, we got some support from this also too. Mm-hmm. Because our case will be on next uh, 18 of September, we will get the result whether our our case will be positive or dropped. Now, I wanted to follow up on what Dana just said. Um, there are two issues that I find interesting that has um, come about during this pandemic um, and under the movement control order. One is the union workers in Ipoh and the other one is um, the arrest of migrant workers. Now, these are two issues that um, otherwise get buried um, in a lot of online noise, especially right now in a situation where, I mean, we, we are living under a government that was formed via coup in February. So there are a lot of other political issues that are being talked about online. Um, so I think it's it's worth a mention here that two issues that otherwise would be drowned by a lot of other political issues were effectively communicated and supported online. Um, and you, we even saw um, the media picking up on the issues raised by these two campaigns and directing them to, um, on the one hand, the minister in charge of um, the movement control order, and on the other hand, um, the health ministry, because the the union workers uh, are hospital workers. So I, I believe the, the director general of the Ministry of Health was asked about this issue. So the, the media did pick it up and there was pressure on the government. And... Um, mm-hmm. The, the raising of public interest in these two issues is also important because while there was a lull between the the handing over of the memorandum and the court case, you know, when the court case came, people people could still come on board, they knew the issue and they're, they're articulate enough to express their support for the issue. So I think this is very, very important. And, you know, as you pointed out earlier, Joanna, Social media activism isn't new in Malaysia. If we look back at the early birthday protests, I think specifically the one in 2007, uh, we can see that social media played a huge role in mobilizing people to the streets. And that, you know, that eventually culminated into one of the largest rallies in Malaysia asking for clean and fair elections. Um, w- were you a participant in that, uh, in the 2007 birthday? Yes, yes, I, I participated in that, yes. Uh, do you have any, you know, takeaways from that experience? You know, that, that 2007 Bursay rally then led to the 2008 election that was, you know, called the political tsunami where the opposition won an unprecedented number of seats in, in Malaysia. What are some takeaways from that experience of early social media activism that you think activists can learn from moving forward? I think there are two things happening here. On the one hand, there is the online component of um, the Bursay mobilization, which was to mobilize people to attend a ground event. Um, on the other hand, there is online um, discussions, not necessarily related to Bursay, but political, um, that is ongoing. Um, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, say the two are the same. 
um, I think Bursay used the online space to mobilize people to attend rather than um, using the online space as a protest avenue on its own. Um, but with regards to just ongoing political discussions, this has been going on, um, this predates Bursay. Um, it was probably, I mean, you can call it, I guess, pre-social media when people were, were dependent on blogs, then a lot of the conversations were, having, were, were being held there. Um, and then social media came along and that made it faster and, and, and um, more day-to-day -day for individuals. Um, but, and I think it is that, it is that general discussion around uh, politics in Malaysia that is happening on a day-to-day -day basis is what really built the momentum for 2008 general elections. Bersay played a huge role, yes, uh, because there was a huge impact in seeing bodies on the street protesting. But at the same time, there was already a movement of conversations in different spaces happening. Right. Uh, and Dana, for those listening in, what kind of advice would you give on ways you can stay safe while protesting during this time? So during this pandemic, uh, pandemic time, I think we must follow what the government advice. So we must wear our face mask and um, the social distancing and everything. But but we must focus in our our demands also. What we want to demand, uh, why we we are protest. So we, we also must focus the uh, the outcome of the protest. Right. So maybe make sure that there is not actually any violation of of the rules. Uh, to, to strengthen your case. Yes, yes. The thing about about protests is, I, I, I suppose, what we all seem to imagine is a congregation of thousands of people. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be that, right? Protests, offline protests comes in so many forms. Um, you can have five people standing at the street corner um, taking turns every day. And that's five, just five people, but it is a statement nonetheless. Um, you can have five people in different street corners all across the country every day. That is still a mobilization. So <clears throat> there, there are many ways of, of, of doing this, right? Um, if you can't put your body there, you can leave placards wherever. So I think protest is uh, an ongoing thing. Um, the, the question, I suppose, is visibility. And um, that is up to participants to, to, to be creative with, with um, their participation. Um, with regards to um, the congregation of people uh, at the um, Najib trial, um, that is evidence. Um, just one, but there are plenty. That is evidence that the movement control order, which has been relaxed over time since it was implemented um, earlier this year, really is um, giving a lot of space to commerce, giving a lot of movement to um, certain kinds of um, political participation, if it is to support the government or uh, members of the ruling party. But when it comes to 
other civil and political rights, this is where um, the noose is tightened on people. For example, the union workers who wanted to hand in the memorandum in Ipoh. So um, enforcement of the movement control order is unfair. Um, and this is, this is, this is something that, that, that Malaysians struggle with. Um, because why is it that those people can congregate but we cannot? Um, why is it that a minister can travel with his family and we cannot? So the, the, the enforcement of the movement control order brings about a lot of um, questions that the government needs to answer. Because yes, on the one hand, there is a pandemic. But on the other hand, um, the way you are uh, um, controlling movement um, seems to favour some parts of society and not others. Yeah, that's a good point. There's been more than one incident that's raised how exactly the MCO is being uh, enforced in Malaysia. So uh, just one last question. Do you think this pandemic will change the way people mobilise and protest for good moving forward? Um, yeah, of course, uh, because um, our union also, we are, we are now, we are changing our way to communicate with uh, with with uh, public and also with workers because uh, when the earlier uh, MCO was announced, we cannot meet, we cannot meet the uh, workers and we cannot uh, uh, we cannot find uh, we cannot ask their problems we were restricted because of this MCO uh, we will use this, uh, this uh, online medium to get uh, to get more support and we will I think it will be uh, will be more effective. Uh, Joanna, what about you? Do you think there are implications for the future of protests because of this pandemic? I hope so. Um, I hope that um, people who usually organize offline will uh, or have learned uh, new things about the online space during this pandemic, and as more people are staying at home. Um, so I hope there's an exploration of that space and and uh, people getting intimate with the space. Um, at the same time, also recognizing what needs to change in the online space in order for more people to participate more effectively. Um, and also recognizing the risks so that you have better risk mitigation. Um, on the other hand, what this pandemic has also taught us is that the world has changed. Um, that, along with um, issues around climate change, so we're, we're looking at a world that doesn't have very much time. And um, we're also going to be dealing with the harsh economic impact of this pandemic. So I think certainly these things um, will factor into how organizing will be done um, when a vaccine comes about for COVID. Um, and, and, I, and I hope it does, because um, if there are new ways, uh, more creative ways to organize offline, then certainly we should explore it. Um, I think that's a, it's a great note to end this on. Let's hope that people are more creative in the future of protests. And for those of you listening who would like to know more about the Hospital Cleaners Union, you can check out our article, We Can't Just Sit Still, Malaysian Cleaners Protest Amid Pandemic by Min Si Chua. And um, that's all for today. Thank you so much to Dana and Joanna for joining me. Um, it's been a real pleasure. 
Thanks, Deborah. Our thanks to Dana and Joanna for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!